the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Now, it's the Michelle Tafoya Podcast. Mary Harrington, welcome. I'm so glad to have you. And you are just so interesting in so many ways. But one of the things I admire about people is when they refuse to be canceled. They refuse to apologize or say, okay, we, we don't need to go there. They just stand on their own two feet next to their values, which is what you have done recently. You were to have a book opening in New York. Why don't you take us through what happened there? Well, it was a compact and first things magazine um, very generously offered to or to arrange to, to host a book launch party for me in New York City. Uh, as far as we knew, everything was arranged, everything was booked, and we were ready to go. The invitations had gone out, the venue had been publicized. Uh, and then I, I, I received a, a very alarming message from, from the guys at Compact saying, you, can we speak urgently? There's, there's something has happened. And, and they told us that the, the venue had been pressured to, to withdraw the booking uh, because, because of, I think, the, 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 the precipitating offense was was a tweet that I made. Um, and I'm normally fairly moderate in my language on Twitter. I don't believe in ad hominem. I try not to get into stupid arguments with people. I mean, <laughs> nobody's got time for that, right? Right. Um, so so I don't I don't normally use fiery language if unless I feel very strongly about something. But paediatric gender transition is something I feel very strongly about. This is, I think it's vivisection performed without control on children. And it's, I think it's profoundly morally wrong and, and the people who do it should ought to be ashamed of themselves and they ought to be condemned in the strongest possible language. So I used a tweet it referred to some some doctors at a children's hospital in the United States, and I called them butchers, because in my view, what they're doing to young women, they're, they're, they're performing mastectomies on otherwise healthy teenage girls under the age of 18, at an age where you really not, are not able to consent to those kinds of far-reaching things. Um, and I mean, we have, we have a number of tra- detransitioners on the record now speaking with anger and grief about what's been done to them and what, what they were rushed into. Um, and I, I, I think it's profoundly wrong. And I think it's, I think it's a kind of butchery to, to cut healthy body parts off, off young women who are essentially suffering from a mental illness. Um, the treating, treating mental illness in young women with surgery has a long and infamous history in the 19th century. There were quack doctors who performed hysterectomies on young women because for, if, as a treatment for quote unquote hysteria. Um, this is this is well known and it's often it's been extensively commented on in feminist history. And what I find extraordinary is that a great many of the feminists who condemn the, 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 this, pra- this barbarous practice of performing hysterectomies on, on adolescent women in the 19th century will then turn around and in pretty much in the same breath um, say, say that we must protect trans kids by allowing 15 year old girls to get their breasts chopped off for what is essentially the same kind of psychiatric distress. Mm. Um, and so I spoke out very in in 
in clear, what I think of as clear and angry language about something which I think is deeply wrong, only to find that I was that, that social media pressure had been applied to the venue to withdraw the booking. So apparently in New York City, you may not say that, that cutting body parts off children is wrong in, right. for the, for, because of a, an identity issue. And, and we were then compelled to go and find another venue. I was surprised. Well, I was I was dismayed, I suppose you could say, but not entirely surprised. Yeah. My views on gender ideology are in the public domain and I'm not ashamed of them. Yeah, but it, nor was I going to say, I'm not going to apologise for, right. for saying what's true. Humans still can't change sex and I'm still coming to New York City. I, amen to that. Yes, your, your quote reads as follows, your tweet. Every single one of these butchers is female. Never forget that this isn't just about patriarchy. It's also a war within feminism uh, because, and you were retweeting a photo of these women who were helping with, quote unquote, gender affirming surgeries. It is amazing. And it does seem, Mary, to me that this is, this is almost a fad here that we're seeing of this, this transitioning at a very young age. And I try to picture myself and I, I have a daughter who's 14, so it doesn't take much for me to picture the fact that your brain isn't fully formed. You're not a good decision maker, which is why you're not allowed to do so many things before the age of 18 or 21 or drive before you're 16, because you're not there. You're not, you're not developed. You're still a puppy as it were running around and chasing your tail. And so to have this moment of, you know, I really think I'm a male, let's go see a doctor and then have all this attention poured onto you by the medical community, by your parents, by your, your surrounding your, your family, your, your friends, whomever, or maybe you didn't have friends. And this is somehow this new sense of attention. Yeah, let's go do the surgery. And it, it becomes almost, you used the word hysteria before. It almost does become this hysterical reaction and very quickly turns into surgery. Um, I, I don't understand why this is becoming normalized. What, what do you think is behind this recent surge in these in these surgeries well i think there are a lot of different factors we can look at but that well let's let's take a few in in no particular order for one for one we can follow the money i mean there are there are a great many entrepreneurial biotechnology biotechnology and and there's, there's a lot of people making a lot of money out of it if you can persuade some young individual that they they will only be fully self-actualized as a simulacra sterile simulacrum of the opposite sex, then they will then be in hock to you for your for their synthetic hormones for the rest of their natural lives. And just you know, never mind the side effects, never mind the fact that they may develop osteoporosis, they may develop brain brain they may they may be cognitively inhibited, they they will almost certainly be permanently sterilized. Um, never mind any of that. What you do have is a permanent lifelong patient. A customer, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, I there are the number of gender clinics that have sprung up across the, the United States in just the last twenty years is stunning, um, and it's difficult not to see that there are a great many people who are just seeing a new a new business opportunity. I mean, the the growth year on year in 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 how much this industry is worth is extraordinary. Yep. So so thing number one, follow the money. Mm -hmm. Thing number two, um, I think we we need to point our fingers a little bit somewhat at the Internet if we're going to look at what's driving demand. Um, now, adolescent mental distress is not new. Right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there were there are te there are teenagers in the Middle Ages who are starving themselves and just put, get telling a different story about what was going on. Right. I was not a happy teenager. Um, I was not I, either, I Mary. Suffered. I was not either. Right. 
you know, they, many such cases, you know, there are, there are lots of us have been there, you know, going from being a child to being a woman is not easy, especially in a world where there are very few guardrails on, on, or guidelines and there's very, there, there's very little protection for you against a, a great many predatory or, or negative influences that can be out there and that can harm you before you really know that, that, that there is such a thing as the kind of harm that you've now irreversibly suffered. I mean, there are, there are lots of things about going from a child to being a woman which have always been difficult and i think some have become more difficult because not well for one thing the the the, the absolutely saturated the porn saturated condition um of the modern world thanks to thanks to the internet i mean i think i believe it's now somewhere between nine and eleven it's children's first exposure to pornography yeah. and if all your male peers have been have been marinated in really sometimes incredibly extreme and degrading pornography i mean this is you know, i used to find i used to find the the lingerie magazines in the hedge when i was when i was a teenager in the 1990s and that's not what it's like anymore it no. really isn't you know we we really aren't in kansas anymore and no. um, and you know, children are re- re- literally children are being exposed to staggeringly depraved um, visual materials, and I mean that that's going to mess with you, right? Yeah. And if you're if you're a young woman and you you internalise the idea that to be a woman is to be objectified and abused and degraded and and sometimes literally tortured in this yeah. way, I don't yeah. really blame some of them for wanting to opt out. I mean, if I if I were fifteen now, I'd probably want to opt out. It seems like a completely rational response to a pretty intolerable situation. So there's that, but but so so there are some particular some particular pressures I think on young women, um, but but worse worse still is the experience of sociality which comes with the internet itself in general. Even if you're not marinating in porn, because I'm, I dare say there are kids who who manage somehow to have, to have escaped that particular minefield. But even so, if you if you've been if you've grown used to the idea that you can socialize in a way which is completely separate from your body say you're interacting with your friends remotely while you're all playing computer games together or you're or you're socializing in minecraft or you're texting each other after school and a huge amount of your social life happens not in the physical world you're just going to get used to the idea that your body and yourself are two two separate things and you're also going to get used to the idea that you can reskin your avatar whenever you want to and yeah. that in a sense you're in control of your and and so why why would you not then apply that to your meat avatar and oh I think there's a lot goodness. of a lot of these kids just straightforwardly see this as a matter of justice because that's just how they experience what it is to be a person because that's what's been normalised for them through growing up with, through growing up online. So so that's so that's thing number two. Thing, thing number one, follow the money. Thing number two, have a look at the internet. Look at what the internet does. And thing number three, I think the reason this is being rolled out institutionally is because it's in the interests of professional women. And this is a very difficult subject to get into. But okay, if you hold on one second, the... Mary. Let me stop you right there. This is a difficult subject to get into. And it's a great it tease. very much is. <laughs> Quick break. And Mary will explain right after this. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. 
Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. All right, Mary. Uh, first of all, I want to say how lovely it is to hear someone with your accent say we're not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> um, that was great. That was a great moment. <laughs> all right. So we're on to thing number three behind this. Thing this- number three. Uh, go ahead. Mm-hmm. So, so, so the, the the first two things I listed when we, we when we were reflecting on what could be driving this the epidemic of gender ideology. Thing number one: follow the money. Thing number two: look at the internet. Thing number three: professional women. Um, and by and I, I should to be clear, um, I count myself as a laptop class woman. I mean, I here I am, I talking to you on my laptop. I write for a living. Um, I, I could theoretically do my job from anywhere. I'm, I'm university educated. I'm very much a member of the knowledge class. So, and every all the things which I all the 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 advances in equality in the sense of your sex just really not not mattering at all um, are very much things that I've benefited from. But and there's a big but. Um, liberal feminism of the kind that I'm describing, liberal feminism of the kind which is generally adopted by professional women, um, believe, believes, and this is this is really what I believed until I had a, until I became a mother, that the the way forward for all of us and then the good in particular for women um, is can be attained if we could own if we can only get rid of all the ways that our sex makes us different. If only we can escape all of the limitations that our bodies put on us. And this is this is just there as a very basic assumption. I saw actually a perfect example of this um, from from a perfect avatar of this it was on Twitter today. This is a British camp- a British feminist liberal feminist campaigner called Charlotte Proudman, um, who first became famous for publicly slapping down a, a male lawyer who commented on her appearance on LinkedIn. That was her first encounter with with fame about ten years ago. Since then, she, I mean, she's a very she's a high profile advocate for feminist causes she's a she's a, a, a vocal liberal feminist and she tweeted today a photograph of the british um british baby goods store mothercare um this is a it's a chain store that sells you know little booties and, and buggies and you know you know the sort yeah. of stuff like yeah. stuff for little babies it's called mothercare and she she tweeted the a picture of the of the storefront and with the with the caption why shouldn't we put we should rename it parent care and i'm like Okay, so this is a perfect example of where the where actually the push to erase women is coming from, because the, because women such as Proudman, who are lawyers, who are professionals, um, genuinely believe that we will that they that women of their kind will only be able to flourish when there are no distinctions whatsoever between oh, the sexes, God. when there are no when when no no legal when, when there's no legal or social recognition of sex difference whatsoever and from the point of view of somebody who's a lawyer that's probably kind of true because if you live in that sort of elite world you probably don't often encounter situations where your sex where where the physical differences between you and a man really do make a difference i mean you know there's no reason why why a woman shouldn't be as as good a lawyer as a man right you know you can be we're, we're all just as smart um but um She's she's and she's probably not thinking about those areas of life and work where actually our bodies really do matter because that's just not the world that she lives in. So she's not thinking about the people who collect the trash, or she's not thinking about the people who do arduous physical work for a living. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, she's not she's not thinking about yeah the, the the guys the guys who come around with the bins. You know, nobody is nobody's campaigning for women to be better represented in in waste collection, and everybody knows why. <laughs> 
because it's because it's low status and it's hard work. Right. So, and 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 yet it's women like it's women like Charlotte Proudman who have the mic, and it's women like Charlotte Proudman who are supporting the belief that everybody can identify into whatever gender they want because they believe what gender you are shouldn't have any, what sex you are shouldn't have any bearing on how you present or how anybody meets you or how anybody responds to you because fundamentally it's in her class interests as a as a professional woman to to abolish sex and to abolish the the legal and economic and political standing of sex because at the end of the day it it suits her interests as a as a high flying professional to do so, and these and and if you look at you know, not it, throughout the end of, throughout the sectors of society where gender ideology is being rolled out and which and which are being used to enforce gender ideology, whether it's academia, whether it's teaching, whether it's NGOs, or whether it's the law, or whether it's all of pretty much every single one of these professions is dominated by women. And these are knowledge class women you know, who are they're the Charlotte Proudmans of this world. And they're and they're and they're rolling out an ideology which suits them. And they don't care about the great many people for whom it's a net negative, who, who which is essentially every man and woman who still has to live in the in the material world, in the real world. Yeah. yeah so this yeah. is a, it, this is an elite capture. Yeah. Of this is an elite capture of the, of the word feminism in in the name of a policy which is which is directly counter counter to the interests of most women and frankly most people of both sexes. Are you losing your hair? Is it thinning? Are you worried? Does it run in the family? Look, don't think you're alone because there are millions of American men and women who are right in the same ballpark as you are. But finally, there's a real solution that delivers on what it promises without chemicals, without harsh side effects, without unpleasant smells. And it's called Provia. And it's brought to us by the good folks that develop GenuCell skincare, which I used religiously. Provia uses a safe, natural ingredient, Procapil, to effectively target the three main causes of premature hair thinning and loss by supporting healthy scalp circulation, the delivery of nourishing nutrients, and healthy hair follicle anchoring to your scalp. Provia guarantees more hair on your head than in the drain or in your comb. This is effective for men and women of any age. Uh, It's safe on colored hair, styled hair, treated hair. It's really that simple and right now, new customers save over 50% off Provia's introductory package on ProviaHair.com, P-R-O-V-I-A Hair.com slash Michelle. Every package includes a full 60-day supply of Provia serum for daily use, plus Provia 30 Super Concentrate for faster, more noticeable results. Provia works, guaranteed, or 100% of your money back. I mean, it's that simple. So get results for yourself right now. See what it can do for you. Don't wait. ProviaHair.com slash Michelle, P-R-O-V-I-A Hair.com slash Michelle with one L, ProviaHair.com slash Michelle. Laura Becker, it is so great to finally meet you and welcome to the podcast. Um, You did something really cool just a few days ago. You released a self-portrait, which we are going to show our audience here uh, because it is brave. It is beautiful. It is bold. Why don't you tell us about the portrait and why you decided to release it now? Yeah, so I detransitioned actually several years ago. It's been maybe four or five years now. 
And so I've been doing a lot of healing, a lot of therapy, a lot of art to try and process everything. And I'm still processing it, but I feel like now is the time when I feel confident to be able to do something this vulnerable because it is a self-portrait of my naked um, torso from about here up. And it's revealing my mastectomy scars from the transgender surgery and the nipple grafts. And, you know, it's, it's something that's taken me a long time to, to come to grips with that. This is the reality of my body, that this is the damage that's done. It will never look like a normal female body. It will never be sort of that pristine natural beauty that it once was. Um, and so I wanted to do a self-portrait showing that to the world because there's never been a self-portrait of this sort of type. Um, there's definitely been a lot of mastectomy portraits with, you know, feminism and things, but this was revealing the medical malpractice and the medical damage that was done by the transgender affirmation movement. Mm -hmm. um, and so I did, um, I put gold leaf over the scars right. as a form of the Japanese art of kintsugi, which is, the repairing of pottery when it breaks they seal it with gold to show that it's part of its history and it it's still beautiful so that's my way to try and you know show that i've come to a place of acceptance with my body and it still works it's still my home i still live in my body and i need to move forward with what i can that symbolism is beautiful uh and and it's it's so nice to hear you say that you are confident and that you are comfortable and that you've come to this place of acceptance. Um, how difficult of a journey has that been to, to come to accept where you are now, what your body looks like after, as you suggest, there was medical malpractice done. What's that process been like for you? I mean, to be frank, it's been a hellish process. Um, I do view things in a, in a pretty intense manner, um, in a poetic manner. And I really do feel like I've gone to hell and back many, many times. But I'm under the belief that we need to be in hell. If we're going to be there, we have to make the most look around what got us here, what energy can we get from here, and what energy can we leave. So it has been a grueling process. Um, a lot of a lot of crying, a lot of shaking, a lot of um, you know, venting and just and asking the universe, asking God, you know, why, you know, and um, all these different sorts of things that everyone goes through with different trauma, but then also being public and also having this be a political issue, a social issue of the time. You know, I didn't ever think I would grow up to be in a like a medical scandal, but you know, I'm just rolling with it now. It, it, it the timing is something, and I I kind of believe that you are a voice, a person who is going to be extremely valuable in this whole discussion that we're having. And, and it is a, it is an odd discussion. Um, so let's go back to how you got to this point of transitioning in the first place. What do you think took you to that, to that medical decision? Well, I grew up as a gender non-conforming child. I was a tomboy. At age 11, I was diagnosed as having an endocrine disorder, polycystic ovary syndrome, which has an elevated level of testosterone. I was also diagnosed on the autism spectrum when I was 11. And so I was just kind of a little eccentric, a little quirky, and it was manageable up until around puberty. 
but around puberty, the hormonal dysregulation started kicking in and there were severe symptoms of depression, anxiety, social issues with peers. I was very lonely and isolated. And then exacerbated by that, there was also parental abuse in the home. Um, and I developed complex PTSD from that. Of course, I wasn't aware of that when I was then a teenager in high school. And I was finding out about gender ideology and gender identity on Tumblr, on social media, and even in my high school gay straight alliance club. And so I basically had an identity crisis that you know, I had many other um, maladaptive coping mechanisms, substance abuse, toxic relationships, overeating, you know, that are common for trauma. But it just so happens that this is the time that we're living in that this is considered an option. It's considered a valid medical diagnosis. So I was diagnosed with gender dysphoria when I was 19. And I thought that having surgery and taking hormones and, you know, adopting this male lifestyle would be the way to cure my depression. And I was suicidal. So I was desperate to have some kind of relief. Mm -hmm. So, so you, you get all these diagnoses and you're 19 at the point where you make the decision to transition. Is that you were 19 then? Well, I started socially transitioning when I was about 17, 18, okay. and then I started okay. medicalizing at 19. Okay. As you look back at that, um, clearly you can only, you know, look back with the, the mind that you have now. And, but is there anyone that you would like to see held accountable for what happened to you physically? You know, I'm kind of past the point where I can really... I mean, I'm, I still get angry. I still have grief and everything where I point to specific people who have harmed me and, and myself, especially. But this is a widespread global issue. I mean, this is a large scale pharmaceutical issue, a political issue, um, an activist issue. And so who I want to see held accountable, I would like to see the specific uh, medical establishments, the hormone clinic who issued the testosterone and the surgeon's clinic um, who performed the operation when I couldn't consent, I would like to see those um, individuals held accountable. But moreover, I'd really like to see just the institutional um, mechanism that's that's harming, you know, young people and children in such a massive scale, uh, made aware to the public, and then regulations imposed for safeguards for medical um, evidence based care. And what is that institution? I mean, you've, you're talking about medicine, obviously. And I, 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 I personally think that, you know, look, people's brains don't develop till they're about 25 years old. And you go, everybody goes through, you, you went through some extraordinary crap. I'm, gee, there's no way around it. And it seems to me you were almost taken advantage of for that reason, um, almost pushed into something that you said you couldn't, you couldn't consent. Correct. When you are suicidal and you're yeah. autistic and you have a developmental disorder, even if you're legally, you know, 18, 19, 20, you know, you're in a regressed developmental state. And regardless right. of, of that, you are suicidal. You're not in a rational state of mind. You can't consent to long term medical procedures. Right. Oh, you know what? This is just to hear you talking about this. I, I part of me wants to cry because I'm. I'm so impressed with how you are dealing with it all, but I'm also pissed off that you 
were put through this. I, I, mm-hmm. I just, I, I feel my, my skin crawling right now. Um, that's so this your intuition. Yeah. 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 Um, and I, w- I, w- so the, there is this, you know, this, this whole transitioning, it almost seems like a fad, Laura. It almost seems like a, you know, because if, if you don't feel like you fit in, well, I'll just, I'll just do this. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll go in this direction. Um, and that's not to say, it, it, I think a lot of studies have shown that people who are thinking about transitioning and don't do it, ultimately, maybe they learn that they're gay, fine, whatever. Um, but they don't need to go through this physical bodily mutilation that you went through. So if, if for people who are listening, parents in particular, teachers too, I would say, although I don't know how many we have listening, but what do you want to tell them to what the, what would the right solution be if they ran into a young person around 16, 17, 18 years old, who was thinking about this? What would you tell them to do next? Well, what I want people to most understand is that while there is a social contagion going on and it's a peer influence and it's online and it's angsty young people who tend to be kind of annoying and emotionally volatile getting into this, we can't blame them because it is a is a large scale lie. We're being sold a lie by the media, by politicians and by the medical industrial complex, Um, because doctors, academics, they're writing these Um, medical procedures and standards of care that aren't evidence-based. There is not strong research to show that transitioning a minor is going to be effective to them. As you stated, there's, you know, peer-reviewed studies over a long period of time that replicate the same findings that gender non-conforming children who are uncomfortable in their bodies tend to grow up to be gay or lesbian or they just come to accept it. I'm heterosexual. And a lot of the children that are being indoctrinated into this belief system are heterosexual. It's, it's kind of crazy. I mean, it really is kind of nuts how this movement has grown. And you use the word indoctrination. Um, You know, people don't want to accept that that's actually happening. So how would you explain how you see it happening. Right. I mean, when you say it's indoctrination, when you say that it's a cult, as I do and many do, you know, that sounds scary. It sounds hyperbolic. Um, And obviously, I used to be a trans rights activist. I used to be a transgender person. I've come to now understand that I was sold a lie, that I was sold an illusion, and that there is a you know, kind of a pseudo scientific spiritual belief that a lot of individuals hold that there is some kind of gender identity internal and that that needs to be freed, that needs to be liberated. And there's no shortage of religious spiritual cults that indoctrinate the most vulnerable in society, the people who are on the fringes, the people who feel alienated, the people with trauma and children. If you can get children to medicalize their bodies, go on puberty suppressing drugs and stay in an infantilized state, you have to wonder why are adults advocating for that? Because if they want to advocate for healthy adults over the age of 25, making cosmetic decisions to their bodies, that is one situation. But why are adults then going after children? You have to wonder what are their sexual motivations, which is, it's very difficult to talk about that, but if you use your intuition. (laughs) 
See, that's the thing. You, you, you've put this emphasis on intuition and common sense and just accepting what you know to be real rather than, you know, people telling you, oh, don't believe what you see. It's, you know, it's like, right. wait a minute. Uh, I mean, that is so, so I would love to know how you came to this realization that you, you, you were heterosexual and that was, that was what you wanted to pursue after all you had been through. Well, I always knew that I was into men for better or worse. Um, but in terms of, you know, accepting myself as a female and feeling comfortable with, you know, just the different dynamics that men and women are different and it can be a struggle to connect. Um, you know, really what happened for me, why I detransitioned was that I was diagnosed in a formal psychological evaluation with post-traumatic stress disorder. And I started reading online about women who had trauma from childhood abuse and who had internalized misogyny against their bodies um, and felt alienated because of their womanhood, like autistic women. And then I found a, a small group of detransitioned women online. Everyone had trauma. Everyone was gender nonconforming. We all had hairy legs and we all had mastectomy scars. And it was just crazy to see, like, I'm not the only one. And there's actually a lot of women like me and we're all being targeted. Um, and so accepting that it was trauma that, you know, the, the, as I said before, the transition fantasy was a maladaptive coping mechanism similar to escaping with drugs or alcohol. Um, right. And so I pursued that as an attempt to, to cope with the PTSD that was going on and the self-hate from, from the abuse. And so when you realized all of this, did it, was it a gradual realization or did it hit you like a ton of bricks? I mean, I, it was gradual. I think it happened over the course of, you know, three to six months. This would have been in 2019. Um, and I just started researching PTSD because like you never think like when you think of PTSD, you think of like a Vietnam vet, like Correct. an older man, yeah. right? You don't think of trauma that's occurring from, you know, domestic abuse or psychological abuse. Um, and so it took a while to research that and learn about that and research detransition and find these other women. Um, but once it, once I kind of, you know, was thinking about it, I accepted it in my body pretty quickly. Cause I was like, yeah, I'm female. I've always been female and the transition didn't change anything. I still dress the same. I think the same, I act the same before, during, and after, so it didn't really do anything, but just alienate me even more and harm my body and distract me from, you know, accepting my body and moving on with my life. Yeah. My goodness. Uh, there does seem to be a, a growing number of detransitioners who are coming out and saying, look, this is a lie. Um, you were sold a bill of goods. Don't do this to your kids, et cetera. Do you, do you think that's going to do it? Uh, we have seen some lawsuits being brought. I think that that will have a pretty big impact on this whole industry. But what do you think is going to sort of stop this I, I, bizarre cycle of thinking that we're in? Well, as you said, the, you know, just the people talking about it and, you know, I view it as survivors of a cult coming out, you know, who are excommunicated um, from this ideology. Um, I think grassroots activism, the type that I participate in a lot, having individual conversations like the one we're having now, 
just the more conversation we can have. That's just common sense. I mean, we're not saying anything hateful. We're emotionally no. regulated. We're just talking about, you know, phenomena that's occurring um, for vulnerable people. But I think what's really going to make the change are the lawsuits. Um, it's, you know, if you follow the money, that's why we're in this mess. And that's how we're going to start regulating the mess. Um, and so I'm very hopeful about the lawsuits. I'm sure there's going to be many more to come. Hopefully my own will come to fruition. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, I'd love to see just more people, you know, feeling inspired and feeling confidence to, you know, speak their thoughts and, and connect with more people just in general. We need a lot more connection. We need a lot more yes. broadening of our circles, you know, in real life. And um, but like my message would be, you know, you really aren't alone in being like, what the f is going on here? Sorry if I can't swear. Yeah. What That's the fuck okay, is going good. on? Um <laughs> You know, and, and there are people out there. And if you lose your friends, you can find new ones. Like I had no social connections when I detransitioned. Now I have connections, you know, internationally all over the world. Because um, there are a lot of thoughtful, compassionate and and courageous people who who care about what's going on. And so you aren't alone and they are out there. Um and it is possible to to change the course of your life and, and develop that courage to speak out. Courage is in short supply these days. I you are a model of courage and I admire you for it. And uh, I always end my podcast by saying, be brave and do good. You mm -hmm. have been extraordinarily brave throughout your life, not just now. It, clearly, you've survived a lot. That takes that takes courage. And, uh, and you're doing good with it. And I admire that so much. And I, and I'd love to keep in touch with you because I want to see what your future looks like. You're still so young. I know you may not feel that way right now, but you are. And there's a whole lot ahead of you that I, I just, I'm excited for you and you've inspired me today. So thank you so much. Well, thank you so much, Michelle. I appreciate that. Go check out funkgod.com. Check out her work and all her stuff. It's really cool. You'll enjoy it. I'm so glad I got to meet her today and I am going to follow up with her. Until then though, folks, like I always say, be brave and do good. And we will see you next time. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, 
whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com.